Gentlemen, Twin Peaks is over. David Lynch didn't use any of my David Lynch core songs. Instead, in an obvious metaphor for our multiverse's endless karmic cycle of rebirth and reincarnation, he just repeated my prayer by the platters one more time. And you know what else is an endless cycle? Me over-researching everything I'm interested in. So, <laughs> Which means not yacht or yacht. Right, I said everything I'm interested yes, in. Yes, I just wanted to be clear. Right. So in the course of putting together the Lynch core list, I found a few songs that made me go, hmm, that's kind of disturbing right up on the surface there. And then I went out a hunting and I found a few more and I cut those original few all out of my last episode so I could fit more straightforward, innocent stuff in because I had a whole other episode on my hands. Uh, and one little tidbit I found... Uh, this song, The Green Door by 50s pop singer Jim Lowe, was actually the inspiration for the title of the groundbreaking porno movie Behind the Green Door. Yeah, I know that. It's Marilyn yeah. Chambers, right? Yes. Yeah, it's uh, this guy. Yeah. He knows his was, porn facts. I was just watching Ken Ball Run. Starring Jackie Chan, and in scenes when Jackie Chan and his buddy were driving, of course, every scene started with. Of course, of course. And there's one scene where uh, Jackie Chan's wa- deciding to watch a porno, and he watches behind the green door, and the car starts to go crazy, and his friend's like, What are you doing? Except, like, in Japanese. Right. Or Chinese. Nope, they're Japanese characters. Huh. Because they're jerking off, so they're turning Japanese. I don't know if they thought that deeply about it. It's a jack track. These are Asian guys. We'll make them Japanese and go... I went to uh, Marilyn Chambers' wake. It was very sad. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You did? I did, yeah. You like to go to a lot of public celebrity wakes, don't you? <laughs> it was an accident. We were filming in the same say. beach oh. parking oh, okay. lot where they set up, and I made a deal with it. They had the ivory snow box set up on it. It was, it was lovely. Great diversions, guys. Oh, here we go. Oh, oh, wait, hold on. We'll start again. Okay. Uh, so what else do you have to say? See? So, so when Jim when Jim sings what, about what's behind the green door, sounds like an after-hour speakeasy, if you listen to the words. And, in fact, speakeasies used to paint their doors green. But people have been trying to subvert the meaning of 50s pop songs for longer than David Lynch has been a director. So the Mitchell brothers answered what was behind the green door was Marilyn Chambers fucking a black guy on stage and starting an orgy. Hmm. So this episode, I'm going to take us behind our own green door, albeit not for an orgy. Oh, man, but we got four dudes and yeah. four dicks here. Five if we let the Brusso in. Yeah, come on. He's, he's got all the fun stuff. I know. Our hair will clog up the drains. But... Steve put the kibosh on that already, so put your dicks back in your pants, guys. But don't worry. There'll be no morals at this malt shop. This is where the greasers go when they want to leave it to Beaver. When the the big one drops, this fallout ain't going to be so sheltered, (laughs) if you know what I mean. This is the most sordid sock hop in these disturbed old burbs. Welcome to Fifty Shades of Fifties. This is a Beyond Yacht Rock podcast, an internet podcast on the internet that creates new genres week after week and counts down the top songs in that genre. 
Uh, today we got one called Fifty Shades of Fifties, but before we get to that, we'd like to throw a bone to all you Yacht Rock fans out there, because we know you love the genre so much. My name is J.D. Riznar. Hello, I'm Hollywood Steve, captain this week. I'm Dave, sitting next to Hollywood Steve, who is indeed the captain this week. And I'm Hunter, Steve's the captain this week. And uh, this is Art Garfunkel with the... So he's the more talented member of Simon and Garfunkel, a talent Mm -hmm. we're measured in hair curliness. And... Also, you can hear he's the toughest man in folk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is off his 1979 Kinda Yachty album, Fate for Breakfast. That was the one I was trying to come up with off air. Fate as, for Breakfast. He's, as you, he's the more talented one. More like Art for Breakfast. Uh, All right. Art Garfunkel, I'd eat that. Art. Three meals a day. Uh, someone asked me about another track on this album uh, called In a Little While I'll Be On My Way for a Yacht and Yacht. It made the boat. But to me, this one is even yachtier. It's a full tilt blitz directly into the crossfire. And if the sound weren't enough, it's called Sail on a Rainbow. Because he's tough. Yeah. <laughs> Real tough guy. My wife and I had one argument when it came to planning our wedding, and that was uh, about our wedding invite cover. It was a picture of Simon and Garfunkel with our faces superimposed. We both wanted to be Garfunkel. She won. Mm-hmm. Her hair's curly. Yeah. And she's taller than you, right? And the people at the print shop thought it was actually us. <laughs> <laughs> Dummies. Uh, um, so I love it when we find a bona fide yacht rock song with sail in the title. Well, this one takes it up a magical notch because he's sailing not on a sea, but on the illusory band of colors created when light is bent through a prism. A rainbow, everyone. A rainbow. Um, and of course, sailing on a rainbow is impossible because. <laughs> Uh, because this song is about a heartbroken super fool wishing he could get his love back. That's not going to happen, Garfuck up. Oh, that kind of face. Zing. That kind of face. <laughs> this guy's going to be crying for a week. That kind of faith that the girl who dumped you will return is exactly what a fool believes. So this was written by one of the great heartbroken fools of Yacht Rock, Stephen Bishop. And I guess this was recorded in New York because Rob Mouncey schlepped his e-piano across town. Leah Kunkel, a woman of yacht and another New York leaner, is in background vocals. Tom Scott on sax, Steve Foreman on percussion. And of course, when you think Art Garfunkel, you think of Paul Simon in Central Park. So, this is Yacht York, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, it is. There's yeah. a lot of other people on this. And I, I looked it up, and there, he also has a song... Written by Michael Sambello on this, mm. which I had to listen to because I wanted to know what a Michael Sambello song sang by Art Garfunkel would sound like. And it's pretty yachty, it's pretty yacht yorky, and it's a, this is a pretty good album. I would uh, recommend people listen to it. It's not very high energy. Mm-hmm. It's good for mellowing out. Yeah, it's a good mellow. Yeah, uh, Garfunkel didn't bring a lot of energy to his singing or his. Uh, um, well, uh, Nichols, Love making? or is Mike Nichols movies? Ah, you know, tra- trying to remember the director. You, uh, you know, this is it's a good album for like, okay, we're back, we're going through the channel now, going back to the port, you know, we're getting the yacht back in the slip. This is this is sort of you know, you broke up with me out on the water, and we had to sail the whole <laughs> way back together. <laughs> Super awkward, and there was no food left in the pantry, so we had to have only fate for breakfast, and, and no bullets left in my gun. Yeah, but I did hear some seagulls in the intro. Oh yeah, it's a lovely song. Yeah. Let's hear some songs that aren't so lovely, Steve. Great. Let's get to it. So here's here's how I'm trying to formulate this genre. 
I was never a horror movie buff, but even I know, without ever having seen it, that Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is the gay one. Yeah, it seems that it's about a teenager allowing possession by Freddy Krueger to kill all the men that might be making passes on him. Uh, and I think only one woman is killed and the rest all men, and this is notably unusual for a slasher movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and both both the lead actor and the screenwriter have confessed to intentionally amplifying the homoerotic subtext, although it took the screenwriter a good long while to admit to that. But the director claims to be completely unaware that this was the effect he was producing. What? That would, that would explain what? All, the, all the busty bikini babes in the background. <laughs> So this is this is the type of song that I'm looking for here today. The subtext has to make you wonder whether the songwriters were deliberately trying to sneak something past the censors or whether it's betraying more about their psyches than they consciously intended to reveal. Like picture their therapist finding it interesting that they chose that <laughs> metaphor. Or, if the fucked up subtext is clear, there has to be a sense that the writers didn't fully comprehend exactly how fucked up their treatment of the subject matter was. It really is some fucked up songs in here. You did a good job putting this together. Man, it's, uh, it's a lot of repression seeping out a lot of uh, deep, dark corners of the 50s here. So why were you drawn to this, Steve? Well, first of all, I, I, I found or re rediscovered most of these while I was researching mm -hmm. the Lynch Corps episode, like I said in the intro. And none of these made that list because David Lynch would not have needed to subvert the innocence of those songs by playing them during a really fucked up scene. Whatever innocence is in these songs is already riding the bullet train to Pervertville. There it is. Oh, man, if only Agatha Christie were alive today, what a locked room mystery that would make. <laughs> Uh, so what we're listening to right now, this is an example of a song that could almost make it. Uh, this is Skip and Flip doing a song called Cherry Pie. This is about 30 years before Warrant's song of the same title, but apparently this double entendre meant the same thing back then that it still does now. So you can't really sit there wondering, did they fully understand the implications here? Of course they did, and besides, the bit where he laments that he didn't stick in his thumb or pull out a plum is too good to be unintentional. You don't you don't think that's just the old uh, Jack Horner nursery rhyme? I think they pulled that out uh, on purpose. Ah. What, wait, I don't what does that mean? I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and all went laughing home happily after or something? Yeah, but in this context what what's that mean? In this context it means he didn't finger banger. Oh. Ah. How do you pull out a plum? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering about the plum more than the, the You know, thumb. that might be a backdoor finger bang. Yeah. And the plum is... Oh, dear. Just wondering. <laughs> Just, I, I mean... Um, Steve, I have a question. Yeah, what's that? I have a very good question. Okay. So I'm listening to your playlist prepping for the show, and I notice a lot of these 50 Shades of 50 songs are from the 60s. What gives? All right, well, you know how, uh, you know how 50 Shades of Grey is actually just Twilight fan fiction with the names changed? Yeah. Well, all of these songs are basically just 50 songs with the name of the decade changed. And this coming from the guy who picked so many nits over new op. Hey, you know where the term nitpick comes from? Headlights. Yeah. Little baby headlights are called nits, and they you pick them off your head when you have headlights. Mm -hmm. And you know how I know that? Because you my, my uh, daughter been to the gave, zoo and saw the monkeys. My daughter gave me headlights. 
And I did a podcast here in Feral Audio. Yeah, you give them the, you give it to everybody else. Yeah. With headlights, and I had no idea. So uh, I hope nobody else got it. Feral yeah, Audio. So I hope podcast. you're listening, uh, Hour of Goon. I don't know if they record here, but I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure I, they've had I gave, I gave various it to Dino lice. Stamatopoulos. Okay. Oh, I'm uh, sure the, the goon guys and Dino have had various lice and various hairs on their body. Yeah. Uh, so to sum up real quick, today we're going to hear oldies that evoke the emotions behind weird sexual fetishes, unhealthy, messed up relationship dynamics, or much like the Fifty Shades of Grey books, both all at once. All right. Here we go. Yeah, I'll let you hear the first word. <laughs> this is old-time country star Gentleman Jim Reeves with a really early song called Beatin' on the Ding Dong. That's what it's called. It's about a carefree, unemployed dude who obviously sits around all day whacking off. I think you and Jim might be doing it wrong. How so? Well, I don't think you're supposed to beat on it. It's a euphemism. It's, a, it's you- a euphemism. Come on, oh. hey, come on. Whoa, it's getting hey, literal. Don't be willfully obtuse here. I guess talking about Garfunkel made everybody real tough guys. It's a metaphor like how you treat women. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a cowbell in this song, uh, so I guess this is clunk country. Uh, but at any rate, this is the only song I know where the cowbell functions as a sonic metaphor for a dude's balls clanking together. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Uh, this song's from 1954, so back then, if you couldn't stop masturbating, there's obviously no internet porn yet. You had to be invited to a stag party. Yeah, you had to go to a stag party or you had to, like, have your own fantasies or some shit like that. Um, I, you know, you listen to the lyrics and it sounds like he's walking around town looking for things to jerk off to. Yeah, because yeah. it kind of sounds like nonsense it's versus... A, but he's looking in the barn, he's, he's looking on the porch, <laughs> then a dog bites him in the ass. This is some weird shit you dug up, Steve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, right in the middle of the song is this weird dominant story about a horse stepping on a flea while they're rolling dice. And then, like, he's on the porch, he's like, the guy's snogging this girl on the porch all night. He gets bitten on the ass by her dad's bulldog come morning tide. And uh, and then the last, the very last verse, uh, he wants his future wife to support him financially, which makes him a forerunner of every porn and video game ad- addict who can't find a job in our late capitalist economy. Except this guy is happy-go-lucky instead of depressed. There's also a great lyric, I think it's how he tried to cover his entendre for the censors. It's uh, beating on a ding-dong don't mean a thing. And that's how they get your jack track on the air in 1955. Yeah, you just straight up tell them, oh, this was just a silly nonsense song. No, it's also indicative of how overt all the other lyrics are. Uh, I don't know. I, this To me, this sounds like a musician who's playing an instrument that no one wants to hear. His penis. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta wait five minutes and it just goes... It's the worst instrument. <laughs> uh, so good old Jim Reeves was one of the first country crooners. Uh, he, after this, he developed a soft, sensitive ballad style that fit well with orchestral arrangements. That was the first flowering of the so-called Nashville sound, which generations of subsequent country artists made their names rebelling against. 
And the Nashville sound was very pop crossover friendly, which resulted in Reeves' best-known hit, 1960's He'll Have to Go, which reached number two on the pop charts and was number one on the country charts for 14 weeks. It's a successful song, fellas. Boy, man, he must be up there. Uh, this That was his high point. Now, uh, Steve, tell us how he died. Well, I'm glad you asked, Hunter, because Jim Reeves died in a plane crash at age 40 in the year 1964. Uh, the small plane he was piloting ran into a thunderstorm outside Nashville. Which is a euphemism for contracting a fatal case of the clap. That's why he jerks off all the time. Fun fact, Jim was believed to be sterile due to complication from the mumps or possibly beating on his ding-dong. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows that you only get so much essence to expend before yeah. it's all gone. Right. And when you're doing it in that your balls are clanking together, it really might damage your testosterone, your, 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 your sperm-producing abilities. Uh, anything else? Uh, well, I, I just I feel like that, uh, that epilogue to his story is a sobering reminder that one day we will all no longer be able to while away the hours beating on ding-dongs. Fortunately, Jim's music lives on, and according to Wikipedia, he still has a fan base in India and Sri Lanka, where his recordings of Christmas carols are very popular during the holidays. Many of the assertions in that section are marked citation needed. (laughs) He just made them up. His ghost made them up. All right, this is Marcy Blaine. Who's going to take my daddy's place? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, uh, I'm pretty sure that this sounded innocent and cute back in 1963 when traditional gender roles were hotter than casseroles. But today, this song just sounds like an anthem for all the men and women out there with a fetish for daddy-daughter roleplay. And they are out there. I feel this started, like, back in the 20s. Always creeped me out. Did you guys ever watch Boardwalk Empire or Harlem Nights? Sheesh. (laughs) Harlem Nights? Yeah. The Eddie Murphy movie? Daddy! Her name's Lady Heroin. Just because you sell... Just because your name's Lady Heroin doesn't mean you got to sell it. But Daddy! Oh, good God. Um, assuming that this girl is as innocent as she sounds and from a healthy family situation, she's going to be very surprised at all the new things her husband does to her that her daddy did not. She probably doesn't even know her daddy had a penis. Let's hope not. Mm-hmm. The baby talk drives me up the wall. I need someone to scold me when I'm bad? Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, yeah, back in a the, terrible back, song. Back in the early 60s, adult women were infantilized constantly. I'm in the middle of Mad Men now. I'm watching Mad Men for the first time. It's, uh, there's a lot of thematic echoes in that. Uh, so Marcy Blaine, this, uh, this singer, is, of course, best known for her one big hit, Bobby's Girl. Uh, her sound was kind of a cross between girl group and 50s teen idol pop. She was literally a teenager for most of her short-lived recording career, and uh, as you can hear, her thing was being cute, as evidenced by her unreleased demo of a song called I'm Just a Cute Little Girl. Yeah, pretty spot on. Uh, Now, for historical and cultural context, uh, Who's Gonna Take My Daddy's Place was released the very same year as Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique. Now, I wrote, hey, Dave, when did Laura Mulvey write her essay, No Peeking? And then Dave wrote the answer to the script. Yeah, but I didn't peek. 
Oh, sure. I think okay. it was 75. I don't know if I'm right or not. So that was born the same year I was. Laura Mulvey's essay. I don't know. I could be wrong. I, I promise I haven't looked it up, but I'm okay. Know. Okay. Well, okay. Don't worry about it. No peeking. I'll keep. I'll talk about the songwriters, and you can look that up. <laughs> uh, so this song, like most of most of Marcy's material, was written by two dudes from Long Island named Gary Klein and Henry Hoffman. Uh, who, in what limited information I could find online, are often characterized as having a real knack for getting inside the mind of a teenage girl. A teenage girl that's been carefully crafted by a middle-aged man. I, I mean, some things never change, you know? Some, yeah. some pop templates are, are, are able to be reused from decade to decade. Uh, Gary Klein later went on to become a producer and worked with Glenn Campbell, Dolly Parton, and Barbara Streisand. Three of the most popular teenage girls of all time. <laughs> I'll tell you about Gary, though. He produced Barbara's Wet album, Ooh. which I feel comes up every three episodes. Every on song's this show. about something wet. <laughs> Tears, waterfalls. Yeah. Splishing, splashing. How do they do it? He's also the only producer to work with Miss Streisand more than once, which probably says something about good old Babs being a good old pain in the ass. Okay, I looked this up, but I only looked up the first part of that, which was the wet thing. That is true. Dave's fact is correct. Mm, nah. I, I can't say 100% on the other one. Okay. I looked up uh, Is Babs a Bitch, and it just came up with a bunch of guys raving about her concerts. <laughs> She's such a bitch. Oh, what a bitch. She just, like, was bitch that stage. Beautiful shit. All right, here's our first S&M metaphor of the show, and it won't be the last. Uh, this is Chris Jensen with a song called Torture. Now, the torture in this song mostly just sounds like a little cock-teasing, but you never know. Like, maybe somebody here was really into orgasm denial or something else humiliating. But anyway, this one is relatively mild in that regard. You know, if you're into orgasm denial, wouldn't having an orgasm cause an orgasm? I'm always really confused about that fetish, because I always ejaculate much, much sooner than I would like, and I just assume everyone else does. Well, th this is the problem, J.D. You're in orgasm acceptance. Oh, okay. So you don't <laughs> get it. You've reached the end of the five yeah, stages you, you of orgasm. You've passed that, so okay. that's why it's so confusing to you. <laughs> I wish uh, I, what, what's another step? Ah, I'm brain farting. Anger. anger. Orgasm oh, anger. Orgasm anger. Oh, and orgasm bargaining. Uh, yeah, yeah, orgasm bargaining. bargaining. Orgasm depression. That's yeah. That's pretty much yeah. That's, that's apologizing that's, to your friends. Yeah, that's my. That's my. That's <laughs> no, the twelve steps. So that's no. different. That's my. Yeah, that's my sexual cycle no, right sorry, there. Sorry, guys. One you've, bang and puts me through all those emotions. Yeah. You've but you've made it to yep. orgasm acceptance. Yeah, yeah, I guess it. Guess it came out. It's good work you've done. Good emotional work you've mm -hmm. done. Thank you. We're all real proud. So Chris Jensen uh, was a teen idol type singer from Connecticut. Uh, if you look at his picture. I'm not sure he was best suited to that marketing approach because to me he looks more like this beetle-browed mook in a varsity sweater who did his hair like Elvis for the sole purpose of getting his dick sucked at the drive-in. Most of his photos show him tilting his head down slightly and then glaring up at you with a vaguely threatening grin on his face. I'm terrified of this guy, so it's a good thing he's apparently not dominant according to this song. Yeah, he's so creepy looking. It's like the songwriters club said, let's give Chris Jansen all the creepy songs. And his hair, he, that hair helmet's incredible. Uh, it's the, 
It's the thickest kind of high regular hairstyle I've ever seen. I don't know how to describe it. It's like a razor head if it was under control. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like if there was a strap, it would be like <laughs> if, if he grew out his sideburns and they connected, it'd be a chin strap. Yeah, he'd look like an oldie time football player from yeah. the 20s. Yeah. yeah. It was leather helmets. <laughs> yeah. But he is terrifying. You were talking about him looking, like, head down, looking up. It's, yeah. It's like the movie poster from It. Like, that's the look he's got on his face. Yeah, he looks like he has a secret. Yeah, a real fucking dark one. And this weird, like, Wurlitzer carnival-sounding organ, like, in that minor tone. It's just like the creepy, moldy cherry on top of this creepy-ass milkshake. Yeah, come come to my carnival, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Have a balloon. Yeah. Probably a lovely man. Huh. Sit on my lap. Test my strength. <laughs> this was uh, this was Chris's only hit. Uh, it made it to number twenty in nineteen sixty-two. It was originally written for the Everly Brothers, who turned it down, uh, by John D. Loudermilk, a singer and songwriter of some esteem, who is best known for writing "Tobacco Road," a big hit for the Nashville teens, who were from England. Uh, as well as Paul Revere and the Raiders Indian Reservation. Did you guys know I'm like 1% Cherokee? That is the worst Paul Revere and the Raiders song I can think of. It's no Kicks, I mean. Oh man, Paul Revere and the Raiders can be so good. Are you talking about the band Kicks? <laughs> no, they're way better than Paul Revere and the Raiders. Yeah. Kicks just keep getting harder to find. Yeah. Light my fuse? No, blow my blow fuse. Blow my fuse. That was it, yeah. yeah. That's a fucking great song. Love talking about kicks. Yeah. (laughs) Go listen to Bald Metal Episode 3 of this podcast and hear some more kicks. We'll find them again. Uh, Chris Jensen also recorded songs by another Everly Brothers mainstay, Boodlo Bryant. So he was basically getting all the Everly's sloppy seconds. Uh, He would often have to harmonize with himself via overdubs because they were all arranged for the Everly's. But apparently a lot of it was mostly pretty good material, so images and everything, fellas. You know, this portrait you're painting of Chris Jensen makes him sound like sort of the loneliest guy in music history, and Moby makes music. (laughs) Take that, Moby. (laughs) You're lonely. It was the one time I saw Moby leaving a restaurant. Mm-hmm. He was with a friend. Oh, good for him. Yeah. But See, it looked like a kind of guy he'd hang out with, so he might have been like a user. Yeah. I was on set with him once and he kept to himself. Yeah. Although, to be fair, there were a lot of creeps on that set. <laughs> Speaking of creeps, guys, there are some fucked up girl group songs out there. And here's one. Uh, we got another S&M metaphor here. This is Chains by The Cookies. The implications are rapidly getting more disturbing as the countdown goes along. First they sing, my baby's got me locked up in chains. And you're like, oh God, is she being held prisoner in a basement in Cleveland? But then she reassures us that the chains ain't the kind that you can see. So really we're only talking about some type of chastity belt device here. It seems like a relief by comparison. It's got lyrics like, these chains of love got a hold on me. It makes it sound like a romantic song. But then lyrics like, I can't run around because I'm not free sound real creepy. And it's basically, you know, you know, on the surface, it's a song about a lady who wants to kiss a guy, but she can't because she's married to me. Hey, what the heck? What? <laughs> this is a dumb bit. <laughs> what are you doing talking to that guy? Get back here in my kitchen. Don't make me use the chains that you can see. And the fact that the cookies are three black ladies make, kind of makes the chains reference even more inappropriate. 
Hey guys, have I ever mentioned how my favorite genres are when we are super literal about the lyrics? Like this one and the butt stuff one that you did, Dave? Hey, it's, you know, I... I'm just uh, I'm just the interpreter. Yeah, we're just we're just teasing no, out. No, you're what's, not. You're not the interpreter. We're you teasing out what's already the... there. <laughs> we're just dis- we're just discovering the subtext that is already present in the work. We're just contained in, in unto itself. We're just holding up the mirror, man. The Cookies were formed in 1954 in Brooklyn by Dorothy Jones. The first version of the group included Darlene McRae and Dorothy's cousin Beulah Robertson. That version of the group eventually became Ray Charles' backing vocal group, the Raylettes. Then in 1961, Dorothy formed a new version of the Cookies with a different McRae, Darlene's younger sister Earl Jean, and a different cousin, Margaret Ross. And this is the lineup that had a few hit singles, including this one, which was their first hit, went to number 17 pop, number 7 R&B, in 1962. Earl Jean does the lead vocal on this song. And this, uh, we, I'm, I'm trying to talk about the writers who came up with this shit uh, and most of these songs, too. This was written yeah, by the legendary... You gotta give them credit. You yeah, gotta you give gotta, the creeps some credit. You gotta give the creeps some credit. Yeah. Uh, I like this writer's story. I got, I got a follow-up fun fact Okay, good, it. good. So this is by the legendary husband and wife team of Jerry Goffin and Carol King. And we'll be hearing them from them again this episode. And their main connection to the story behind this song is that while the cookies were on tour... Jerry knocked up Earl Jean McRae, who was about halfway through his marriage to Carol, and wound up paying her a lot of child support. Uh, he and Carol also gave her a few more songs to record, including the original version of I'm Into Something Good, which would become a hit for Herman's Hermits. They also did the song Don't Say Nothing Bad About My Baby, which is kind of a kick in the gut to write a song called that uh, when your wife is... Uh, well, I fucked that up. With your wife. With your wife to a woman that you knocked up. I'm saying my theory is that the song is literally about his baby that he had with this other woman. <laughs> that's my, yeah. Yeah, he's like, he's like, hey, Carol, I wrote this song. Don't say Seriously. nothing bad yeah. about my baby. Yeah. About the baby I had it with her. It's literal. Jean. Yeah. It's, li- <laughs> it's a literal. <laughs> Uh, one more fun fact about this song. This was covered by the Beatles on their debut album, Please Please Me. It was the very first featured lead vocal on record for George Harrison. They all sound the same. All those uh, Beatles. Yeah, all those that, Beatles. that era, they definitely all sounded the same. Take that, Beatles. Sex? Hey, can I say this right off the top? This song is by the Exciters, and it has an excitable sound to it. So way to live up your band name, guys. That's right, J.D. This is He's Got the Power by the Exciters. The early rock and roll era, I think, must have been an amazing time to be a sexually submissive woman, since pop culture spent a lot of time assuming that pretty much all women liked it that way and rough. Uh, this was also an era when the prelude to a movie kiss was usually a slap in the face, after which the hero would heroically overcome this impertinent resistance, which we all knew was a charade anyway. So anyways, another dysfunctional relationship on parade with some dominance and submission undertones. This chick's boyfriend makes her do things she doesn't want to do. Anal. Say things she doesn't want to say. I love anal. So she wants to break up with him, but she can't leave because of his hypnotizing masculinity. Guys, this is not how you're supposed to treat your submissive. You make them do things they do want to do, and you negotiate beforehand. 
Yeah, it should be more like prostitute, how much you charge for anal. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to a prostitute in Montana? Well, what was his name? Uh, I good, took out his joke. Good, good, guys. A gay joke? Really? No, Dave, you have to tell us. Well, it was on a dare, and we went into the brothel, and they, because it, it was a bar. Wait, the Montana has brothels? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was legal. Uh, we were in Butte. Those cowboys and, get lonely. Uh, I'm sitting at the bar, enjoying my 50-cent beer, and uh, they rang a bell, and all these women come out, and they force you to choose one, and not to be rude, I chose one. And she took me back into this room to negotiate the deal, and it was very much what JD said, mm-hmm. except she was like, here's my list of prices, this is for this, this is for that, and she said to me, since you're not a black guy, I'll do anal. She's and, racist. And I said... Wait, she's saying you have a smaller dick. I mean, my pants were still on. I don't know how she'd know. Yeah, she's But know. at that point, I thanked her very much, and I got up and left, and then I had to find my friend to drag him out of the room he was in, and luckily we got out of there with uh, out spending any more money than the beer. All right. Boy, she sounds like a real beaut there, Dave. It's, <laughs> she was, it's good to know half that story's true. She was rough. <laughs> Is it? Is that the end? Is that where? Oh no, there's no. more. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, so, okay, go ahead. See. Oh, you can go ahead. It's before before we move on from the the how you're supposed to treat your submissives. Oh, well, she sounds like a willing submissive because she enjoys the surprise of being made done things she doesn't want to do. Like she's going nuts with glee talking about this lifestyle. She's very, she's excited. She's yeah. in the exciters. Yeah, she's in the exciters and she's very excited. Uh, so the Exciters are uh, best known for their girl group classic Tell Him, which brought a new, rougher, more soulful edge to the genre. It was a major influence on Dusty Springfield. There's actually one dude in the group, uh, lead singer Brenda Reed's husband, Herb Rooney, plus uh, Carolyn Johnson and Lillian Walker. They had a few other charting singles, nothing as big as Tell Him. This one we're listening to only hit number 57. However, they did get to record the original version of Do Wah Diddy, which was later a hit from Manfred Mann. Did you guys realize that apparently half the fucking British invasion was just white dudes covering flop girl group singles? I did know that. I was looking into it for uh, another undercover episode. Fantastic! Mm-hmm. We should... uh, sorry, I didn't. I, I'm giving away all your material. I didn't yeah, realize that. Right. I'll never get to any of them. <laughs> we, we, we should do that, except with today's music. I, I looked it up. The equivalent of this song right now is by Haley Steinfeld. It's called most girls it peaked at 57 just like this song and and is falling right now so let's form a band and cover it like done we changed rock and roll just like the Beatles congrats guys most girls that's we should, we should you did, you band. just changed music uh, Congratulations <laughs> <laughs> And you did it a cappella too I, I started with one song <laughs> Finally killed it uh, I'll get into the writers a little bit This was written by another Brill Building songwriting legend Ellie Greenwich But not with her usual partner and husband Jeff Barry This one was with a different early partner Tony Powers the man who would later go on to write We're the Banana Splits, which was not the theme song to the TV show The Banana Splits, but did make it to the album. I love the idea of them putting out a call for Banana Splits material, and then you get the call like, all right, well, you're not the theme song, but you did make the album. That's a tough fucking pill to swallow. Luckily, Tony Powers went on to prove that he, too, had the power by becoming a character actor in the 80s 
and uh, taking small roles on The Equalizer, NYPD Blue, The King of Queens, and he was in Goodfellas, apparently, too. Also, luckily, he now keeps up a blog. Oh, thank God. Called BarkingInTheDark.com, and it's kind of comedy. You know how, like, uh, Governor Mike Huckabee writes things on Twitter that are supposed to be Oh, boy. But really kind of are. They're better than that. But it's like his take on somebody found uh, uh, baby Jesus in a Swiss melt, and it's like, what's with all these ads about reptile dysfunction? You know, it's it's, it's good stuff. That's yeah. so much better than any of Mike Huckabee's jokes. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's still a seventy-five-year-old guy trying to yeah. trying to crack wise. But barking in the dark, jokes. Barkingindthedark.com. Check it out. Halfway done with this. With this, I mean, it's taking longer since we've gone every two weeks, but mm-hmm. we're almost to seventy-five. Almost. <laughs> All right, uh, twenty-five, I should say. Hey, folks! I hey. thought I, I no. thought I'd dust off another Lynchcore band here in ZZ Top. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, their hit song from everybody's favorite movie about the nineteen fifties. That's right, Back to the Future Part Three. This is Double Back. The song uh, appeared on both 1990's Recycler, an album which finally made Earth Day cool. <laughs> long last. And it also, of course, appeared on the 1990's Back to the Future Part 3 soundtrack, but only the oldie time western instrumental that they played in the movie cameo. But if you watch the music video for the rockin' version, it takes place in... They filmed it on the set. Yeah, it's all... Well, it's all clips from Back to the Future 3. Yeah. Like when Michael J. Fox breaks the uh, the diegesis and stops and looks at uh, ZZ Top and they do the guitar flip. It's one of the most horrible scenes in the history of movies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so to refresh your memory, the movie goes from 1955 to 1885, back to 1985, which ties a bow on the trilogy. And basically the same thing happens in this one as it happens in parts one and two, except they use steampunk technology to get back to the future. Is this where steampunk started? No, it started in the uh, late 1800s. Ask ask Tony. (laughs) Um, Hey, can I mention how genius this movie series is? They basically took one script about going to the 50s from the 80s and made it into three different movies uh, by changing the 50s to the future and then the 50s to, like, the double 50s. Uh, if you think about it, it's kind of just like Yacht Rock 1 and 6. Uh-huh, yeah, just, uh, it's like a, what do you call that? It's, uh, you like music, it's a, ah, fuck it, I should yeah, it's talk. A, it's <laughs> a, re- like a, uh, repetition, it's a, eh, it's not a repetition. Yeah, it's like right. the Buddhist theory of reincarnation. You yeah. keep talking, I'm gonna the figure out. The karmic I'm gonna, cycle, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna figure out this term. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this is ZZ Top. Uh, they all have beards except for Frank Beard. He has a mustache. They also all live on hills except Dusty Hill. <laughs> and they all own pet monkeys except for Billy Gibbons. <laughs> <laughs> and all this made them the perfect band to play a song about times known for long, dirty facial hair, hills, and monkeys. Uh, hey, remember how new WAP artist Huey Lewis was perfect for the first movie? Shit, yeah. Hey, remember that hit band who played in the, that hit song from the second movie? You know, the one from the future? Remember that one? Hey, great. But yeah, well, no, you don't know, remember it because there was no one. There was none. Why not? 
Uh, for a franchise very much intertwined with culture classes, clashes, particularly musical ones, why did they not drop? Uh, why did they just kind of drop it and then like not do any cool soundtrack stuff until this third one, and then just kind of throw a band in there that no one under the age of 35 still listened to? It's, it, that doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make any sense to they you? Gave they, just, Hunter, they gave up. They just Hunter. They gave. Okay. Yeah, they're like, all right, somebody come up with an idea, and much like the script to Back to the Future Three, they went with the first one that was pitched. But why? Why wasn't there? Why? Why wasn't there a hit song from the? From the second movie. I have no idea. The whole thing took place in the 50s. What was Brian Setzer up to? No, the second movie was in the it future. It took place in the future. Nobody knew what a good song would be in the future. They didn't, so even, they didn't try. even try. They didn't yeah. even want to try to like yeah. find a, like a, a future sound. They just ignored it. It would have been like One Dance by Drake if they got it right, you know? It would have uh, been fun to look forward to see like how close they would have got it. Uh, anyways, in conclusion, history of, is a land of contrast. <laughs> also, if you play Back to the Future, the pinball, you get three songs, the two Huey Lewis ones, and Double Back by ZZ Top, the end. <laughs> that term I'm looking for, it's in film, too. It's like... It's like a mode. Motif? Not, it's not a motif. Ah, fuck it. But you're talking about how somebody does the same plot or the same similar... <laughs> Foreshadowing, but no, but it's a an trope. It, it's no, it's an artistic choice. Yeah, to the the repetition of the similar plot or plot like devices. Yes, that pay homage to Don't the original because it, it could be in the same piece. It could be in the same. Ah, oh, anyway, it's gonna drive me crazy. did it guys i finally shook jd <laughs> hey I, I thought of a joke about the album title of a recycler the yeah only, go only, for it the only thing they recycled was their sound <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah take that zz top and that'll button up 50 songs from 50 soundtracks in the 50 shades of 50s episodes all right so last episode i put out a call for more elvis soundtrack songs in the show and i'm going to turn my rhetoric into decisive action this is from the movie Kissin' Cousins. It's uh, you know, it's just a little lighthearted romp about incest, and a title song that works really, really hard to find a blanket justification for it. So Kissin' Cousins is one of those things done by really, really poor people and really, really rich people. <laughs> like you'll find it in Buckingham Palace or the mountains of West Virginia. Uh, Adam Carolla has a good bit on on this. Boy, Long I, list I'm, of things. I'm Think not, about it. I'm not used to hearing that Adam Carolla has a good bit on something. That's that's his. I think that's his best best one because there's tons of them. Okay. Like dirt roads. <laughs> like I don't know. There's more. So I just want to underline this. The view of this song is that really we're all cousins because we're all descended from Adam and Eve. So think about the implications here. They're saying that all sex is incest and that the Bible justifies said incest. That is one hell of a theological argument to be making, especially in the course of a single verse in the title song of a shitty movie. Oh, you can find you can use the Bible to justify anything. So oh, I, yeah, yeah. So I pulled up a random verse from a random Bible verse site. Uh, so here's the verse. Or you do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, 
whom you have seen from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I pulled it up randomly, and the Bible is basically saying you are God's prostitute and make love to him, glorify him when he pleases. Therefore, the Bible says prostitution is just fine. And really, See, Dave, you really fucked up yeah. in Montana there. Yeah. That was God you rejected. It should wow. be fine because a well-regulated sex industry is a safer sex industry. That's true. And God knows that. God knows a bro loves to shtup and sometimes he can't find a date. And that's why God wrote that verse into the Bible. We should start a church. <laughs> um, no, church of what you want to hear. That'd be great. We wouldn't have to pay taxes anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That's the reason why people do it. Like the NF <laughs> I, so I think I think you could make a, the sa- almost the same. To be fair, you could all make almost the same case with science, though. Like, uh, it, I mean, technically we're all related, uh, which really puts a spin on the phrase "sleeps with fishes." It doesn't mean dead. It means you're the only one not committing incest. Makes sense. Technically, yeah. yeah. And, and when we when we're talking about this 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 movie, Kissing Cousins, the plot is not metaphorical. It's literally about hooking up with your hot cousins, because that's what the hillbillies do out in hillbilly Tucky. Uh, Elvis plays identical cousins with different colored hair, and they kiss each other through the whole movie. The two Elvises just kissing. What the hell is this identical cousin thing from the '60s? I actually did some research to figure out how you could have identical cousins, and you'd have to have identical twin boys marry identical twin girls, and if they both had a kid, the genetic makeup would be the same, but they'd be cousins, but how fucking common would that be? They also wouldn't look the same because they'd have the same genes like a brother and sister. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is like Elvis and Patty Duke. Why did they even have to be cousins? I never thought I'd say it, but the parent trap made a lot more sense than this horse shit. And I, I honestly, I think this works best when the, t- the two identical people aren't related, but one is, say, from Buckingham Palace and the other one is from the mountains of West Virginia. City Mouse, Country Mouse. Yeah, co- uh, coincidentally, both those places have a ton of incest. Yeah, kind of a, a fucked fish out of water yeah, story. Exactly, this guy gets it. <laughs> so anyway, Elvis's main character of the two, he meets his, uh, his two hot lady cousins who fight over him. He picks one, dumps the other one off on his friend. The secondary character, who's the other Elvis cousin, hooks up with someone he's not related to. And there's also some other plotline about the government wanting to buy a mountain to use as a nuclear missile base. They have to talk old Pappy Tatum into selling his part of his land, but he don't want no revenueers monkeying around with his moonshine steel. So, you know, it's a lot of uh, uh, non-stereotypical portrayals uh, on, on display here. And finally, according to Wikipedia, there are also a group of 13 man-crazy mountain women called the Kitty Hawks who create havoc. Because you see, there's not enough cousins to go around out here and he'll build a sea. Man, Steve, Steve really wanted to get in on this 50 so- songs for 50 soundtrack segment. It really muscles right right next to it. <laughs> uh, I think I think I think that's a good premise for the title though, because Elvis plays cousins and they both kiss different women. So technically, they are kissing cousins, and they never had to kiss a cousin in the movie if they didn't want to. <laughs> It's a good workaround. <laughs> it, it also, it also, without the kiss and cousin part, could be a really good movie, like a ski movie. Yeah, yeah. Somebody needs to buy, wants to turn yeah. the, the turn ski the, mountain, hill. the old mountain yeah. into a, <laughs> into a new the old skiing Dad, mountain. Dad bought the mountain. He's gonna kick out the snowboarders. Yeah. 
the great thing about this song is that it was a hit. This was a number 12 hit, uh, doubtlessly driven by all the cousin fucking residents of Hillbillivania who saw themselves reflected in the lyrics. Yeehaw! Okay, I just want to be clear. I get the, the tucky thing and right. the, the C thing, kind of. Uh-huh. But when I hear Vanius, the Vania suffix, that's where I think the Draculas live. Mm. And they'd be sucking cousins. <laughs> Dave, is that the name of a porno? You ever hear of a cum vampire? <laughs> I'm going to listen to that song again. Was too, like, Before we times. move on, I'm just going to briefly mention the songwriters. Fred Wise wrote the lyrics to the cutesy poo old tiny standard A You're Adorable and uh, the first line of his co-writer Randy Starr's Wikipedia entry is Randy Starr born Warren Nadel is an American dentist and singer songwriter known for writing 12 songs for Elvis Presley Uh, I'm pretty sure that American Dentist was the title of a rejected script written for Elvis Presley. And cum vampire. (laughs) That wasn't rejected. Number four. All right, here's a really early single by Glenn Campbell from 1961. Let's listen to the first line here. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. That's also the first line in the vampire <laughs> movie. Vampire. Sorry, <laughs> Steve. Sorry, sorry. I want to suck your vein. Okay, wait. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There is someone walking behind you. Ah, Glenn! You're not. That's not a good opener. You're not supposed to literally follow the woman you're apparently stalking in this song. Somebody tell Glenn it's supposed to be a metaphor and he shouldn't be... Anyway, okay, he so... He could be stalking a man, and he might eh, be a cum vampire. Might be. Alright, so first of all, Glenn Campbell's fantastic. R.I.P. The Wichita lineman is no longer on the line, gentlemen. Uh, alas. Uh, second of all, even though Glenn Campbell is not a yacht rocker, he is one smooth motherfucker. Uh, but Glenn's character on this song is not smooth at all. This is a song where a nice guy TMs uh, unrequited romantic devotion turns really fucking creepy right from the opening line of the song, as we just heard. Um, you say he's not a yacht rocker, but I'm not convinced that he didn't dip a toe. I oh? feel like anybody who is big enough may have dipped a toe. I think I'd... I would. Lo- I would love. I haven't done the research to be honest, but uh, he came I... pretty close. I'll say he came pretty close. Okay. But we'll, we'll let Gene Yatsky decide whether how successful that dip was. All right, I'm looking forward to that. Oh. How successful that dick was? Dip. Oh, sorry. Jeez. I'm um, still on the still on the vampire thing. Yeah. You know, this might be a religious song. Oh, you think so? Yeah, the person behind you might be Jesus. And that makes a lot of sense. Because, <laughs> you know, the, as the Bible says in Galatians 3, 24, 26, <laughs> so then the law was one, was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under... <laughs> come on, guys. This is the Bible. So I'm not are, laughing. We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So clearly, it states in the Bible 
Uh, that laws don't matter. Yep, that's what it says. We don't need guardians. Christ has our back. So if you want to stalk someone, feel free. We are all sons of God. Take, We're all children of Adam and Eve. Take that woman and do whatever you want with her. Let her do whatever she wants with you. The Bible, folks, black and white, written by God. Just don't be gay. I'm sure I could find justifications for being super gay. I don't know. Every single way you can imagine. I can find it. I I can imagine a lot, JD. I will find the Bible passage. I am the main preacher of the church of whatever you want to to hear. Whatever you want. All right. I'll I'll get you a list. Okay, sweet. So, Turn Around, Look at Me was not a big hit for Glenn. It only made it to number 62. But it was later covered by The Letterman, The Bee Gees, and The Vogues, for whom it finally became a top 10 hit. It was written by Jerry Capehart, who also wrote Eddie Cochran's two biggest hits, Summertime Blues and Come On, Everybody. Those are fucking jams. Yeah. Uh, Glenn started his career as a session guitarist. Uh, so, you know, he's kind of a spiritual forerunner of Yacht Rock, I guess. Uh, he joined the Beach Boys backing band for a few months in the mid-60s when Brian Wilson got sick. But he didn't have a bona fide hit of his own until 1967 with Gentle On My Mind. Uh, I found a fun fact about Glenn's signature song, Rhinestone Cowboy. It was actually written for David Allen Coe, who was billing himself as the Rhinestone Cowboy at the time. And David Allen Coe turned it down! I guess on the grounds that Disco Stew doesn't advertise. So now Glenn Campbell is and forever will be the Rhinestone Cowboy. That's like if we had turned down Ocean City Defender's Yodern Yacht theme song and then it got adopted as the iconic opening theme to Bill Simmons' new standard-bearing podcast, Is It Yacht or Is It Nyat? It would probably be called Is It Yacht or Is It Not? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's going to make this Yeah. And and the Ocean City Defender song would reflect that change in the lyrics, I'm sure. Uh, Glenn, of course, died just this past month in August after a long battle with Alzheimer's. And that's the second most depressing thing you've dropped in the last minute after Bill Simmons' name. Hey, he got like two out of three right on his list. Two out of three ain't bad. Yes, it is. Uh, you want to share this last fun fact, Dave? Yeah, the the Glenn, uh, Glenn Campbell show aired from 69 to 72, and the show featured the first-time writers, Rob Reiner and Steve Martin. And who were they? Uh, Steve Martin did a movie, God, he played a preacher, and he had like a shiny mirrored coat on. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah. A leap of Faith or that's something it, like that. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good one. Yeah. yeah and and R- Rob Reiner played Meat Loaf. Oh, Rob Reiner directed Alex and Emma starring Luke Wilson. I was an extra. Oh. So I'm at work. I think he may have also done Valentine's Day? Probably. Yeah. God, what? No, How that sounds like a... Guys? I think Gary Marshall. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, this one is hashtag problematic, as they say on the social media. This is Joni Summers with Johnny Get Angry. 
Uh, it's another one of those outdated, traditional gender role relationship dramas that'll make most people in the 21st century cringe so hard they might sprain a ligament, except for the ones who are into it. And all those dudes on the pickup artist message boards who think all women secretly want Johnny to get angry and control them with manliness. They're into it. I got a question. Yeah? Is, is uh, Johnny Are You Queer the 80s sequel to this song? And that would certainly explain why I didn't get angry all over her. Yeah, it could be. I mean, if a guy doesn't get angry at a woman who's trying to make him jealous, he's probably a queer. And that's what that uh, Josie Cotton song was all about, asking Johnny, are you queer? Yeah, that, that makes so, an awful lot of sense. Yeah. So Johnny Get Angry comes from that school of thought that women are so hungry for a man to show them some emotions that they'll take all the potentially violent ones. Uh, the narrator is a manipulative drama queen who flirts with other guys so she can watch her boyfriend fight them off and get off on all the passion and testosterone expended on her behalf. Of course, it's never going to be directed at her. She just wants a lecture. And uh, one assumes then she, she wants to be ravished later on or something. I don't know. And uh, Joni, when she sings this, there's a lot of little girl inflections in some of these lines. Not quite as bad as Marcy Blaine, but it does sound like she's very much into into playing the role. Yeah, either way, bitch sounds needy, am I right, guys? I hear that, and you know what the Bible says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can just pull those Think quotes out of that. my ass Think now. about yeah. that for a minute. That means suicide's just fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or, you know, your boyfriend getting angry and murdering you in a jealous rage. Just fine. Just according to the Bible. Yeah. So, I think the, the great and wondrous thing about cultural artifacts from a bygone era like this, this was all commercial music. People wrote these songs with the hope that they would sell lots of copies and make money. Somebody out there had the idea that this was an issue or a feeling that young women were dealing with, and they might look to a song like this to help make to help them make sense of it all and purchase it, even if the instrumental break was a bunch of fucking kazoos. <laughs> I mean, this is a cool song. You take out the shit lyrics, and and you have one of the more interestingly produced oldie time pop songs I've ever heard. Like this crazy piano is going jazz nuts, and you know, like the kazoo solos. Goofballs made this song. Is it sarcastic? I'm afraid that it's not sarcastic. I want to start an improv jazz group called the Jazz Nuts. (laughs) Maybe that could be our new musical group that reinvents music. An improv jazz group is called a jazz group. Oh, right, right. Maybe I'll do a comedy jazz group called the Jazz Nuts. And Joni Summers was actually more of a jazz singer. She did jazz and like old, you know, oldie timey standards. That explains Uh, it. Yeah. This was her only hit, uh, and so this is what she's remembered for. I just, I feel like it must be disappointing, you know, 20, 30 years down the line to have your only big song be something as painfully dated as this is. But I bet she has a lot of great jazz songs, so she doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, honestly, I haven't heard a whole lot else that she's recorded. I just knew this one from a girl group compilation. This was, uh, this was written by two brill-building dudes. Sherman Edwards and the guy who would soon go on to become Burt Bacharach's main lyricist, Hal David. All right. And, so and Hal's got some uh, fucked up impulses here, maybe. I don't know. And well, Burt Bacharach know probably said, Hey, you want to work for Bacharach? You tone it down, Hal David. You uh, went into a little bit of cue on the end there. Always. Wait, Steve, did I? T- wait. No, you're done. You're done with that one. 
I'm super spacey today. I'm getting diabetes, guys. That's oh, that's usually that's, how that's, it, the, that's the signal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know how the test turns out if I yeah, get, get. It wasn't the fucking toad you licked in the parking lot. Might <laughs> <laughs> so, have the diabetes. Uh, <laughs> oh man, we're gonna do so many Wilford Brimley jokes. Hey, if I have diabetes, I'm gonna. If I get diabetes, I'll grow a mustache like Wilford Brimley. Oh, that would oh, that'd be amazing. Actually, uh, he pronounces it dia- diabetes. Diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's going to say check your, check your sugar and check it often. Was that his line? No, no, no. What's this song, Steve? This is the epilogue to the previous song in the countdown. This is The Crystals, He Hit Me, subtitle, It Felt Like a Kiss. This is what I thought would be your number one when you brought up the genre. I, I I did consider that, but I'll explain my logic in number one. Uh, this was produced by future convicted murderer Phil Spector. He's so good. Yeah, he's great. Uh, this was again, or this was written by Jerry Goffin and Carol King, the people responsible for lots of nice whimsical songs with sentiments like "Do the locomotion." Hey, where the fuck did this come from? Was this the base like when they were chained up in the basement earlier? What the hell? Don't play coy, Steve. You're about to tell us exactly where this came from in diligent detail. Well, JD, you've recognized my attempt at a segue. Here we go. So this was a response to Jerry and Carol learning that their babysitter, Little Eva, that's the nice young lady and singer that they wrote the locomotion for and about. Wait, 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 pause. How do you write the locomotion about a human being? It was a dance that she made up. They saw her doing this crazy little train dance. They're like, hey, we should write a song and turn that into a dance craze. Oh. Uh, That's another another good dance boss song that doesn't really tell you how to do the the dance. Oh, yeah. You got to shake your hips now. Okay. Yeah. That's every dance. Thanks. Yeah, the only line is like chugga chugga motion like a railway train. That doesn't really even, like, you have to look at it to really get yeah. what they're talking about. Too much studying. Okay, so yeah. I continue. Anyway, Jerry and Carol learned that Little Eva was getting beaten up by her boyfriend. Hmm. They were very upset. They asked her about it. Little Eva basically told them that he did it because he loved her so much. So they tried to turn this sentiment into a melodramatic pop song expressing that point of view. Now, on paper, this sounds like it would probably be a horrifying miscalculation, and it is every fucking bit as bad an idea as it sounds like it would be. Now, when you uh, when you wrote that, I kind of glanced through it, and I thought you were still talking about the locomotion, so I wrote this whole thing about the psychedelic furs and you like a train, uh, trying to make uh, a song about a train work for domestic violence. No. That's... <laughs> This, this, the locomotion is fine. It's a good dance. It's easy to do. I'm talking about the domestic violence song. Okay, so that's, that's it, super you wrong. Like a train is still pretty fucking dark. But if the psychedelic first song was called "Into You Like Train," I think that would be a pretty damaging, psychologically abusive song because just, you're just, making somebody listen to the band Train. Yeah, and you're telling a girl that you, she reminds you of the band Train. Yeah. Like that's just like terrifying. That's like seeing Oof. your wife in a dress and saying you look terrible in that. Yeah. You remind me of the band Train. <laughs> She'd cry for a week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Crystals a little bit. Fortunately for them, they weren't one-hit wonders like Joni Summers. They're much better remembered for legit girl group classics like He's a Rebel, The Do Ron Ron, Then He Kissed Me, 
Unfortunately for them, they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet, partly because Phil Spector sometimes released songs by two completely different groups under the name The Crystals. Uh, this song was by the quote-unquote real lineup from New York, featuring original lead singer Barbara Alston, who said everyone in the group hated this song. Uh, this was not a hit at all, never reached the official chart. It peaked at number 123. But uh, on multiple occasions when Phil Spector wanted to get a song recorded quickly, like in case somebody, some other group was going to jump on it, He'd substitute the local L.A. group Darlene Love and the Blossoms on vocals and just release it as a Crystals record. Darlene Love is the one who sang lead on He's a Rebel. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo performer. So wait, Phil Spector was exactly like CNC Music Factory or Tectronics or Millie Vanilli's producer. So why do they hang lawyer laurels on this douchebag but like Robert Savillis is a hack? Maybe Savilla should try murdering someone. <laughs> that might help. Phil's, uh, there's another terrible record that Phil Spector credited to the Crystals, but it was much, much different than this one. This was like where he's actually trying and trying to make a good production for a terrible song. Uh, in, in order to get out of a business deal, Phil recorded an unairable single called Let's Dance the Screw, which had one of the Crystals lineup singing backing vocals and featured a lead vocal by Spector's lawyer who couldn't sing just repeating the phrase, dance to screw, every time the groove stopped. And it's not as much fun as it sounds like it might be. Yeah, I track the song down and listen to it, and it comes in two parts. And the first part is okay, it's danceable, it's weird. It's a five-minute song from this era. Yeah, it's, it's an very A side. Repetitive, and you can, but you can dance to it. You can move to it. The B side is the exact same song, but like slowed down, so it's useless. It's not good for anything, and it's terrible to listen to. It's torture. Anyway. Just like the Chris Jensen song. Yeah. It's the soundtrack of eternity in hell. It's really bad. Hunter, you want to talk about your theory of uh, this song about maybe the guy's just kissing wrong? <laughs> uh, I, it was... He, 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 or is he hitting wrong? Yeah, that, well, that, that's the thing. Maybe this this guy is either... One of two things going might be going on here. The guy either hits very seductively a and soft. A sens sensual slapper, you called him. Yeah, a sensual slapper. Or uh, he's just a terrible kisser. Uh, mm -hmm. A very violent kisser. Yeah. Maybe he moisturizes two fingers like with, with like Vaseline or lip balm or something, and then he slaps women on the mouth with just like a little tap, and then they're like, oh... One of the first times... I didn't want to say that after Steve's horrible story about... Uh, mm. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything after that. <laughs> it sounded the song to end because now I'm bummed out. <laughs> I feel great. Yeah, you look terrific. Thank Not you. Not at all diabetic. Thank you so much. All right, let's listen to the first couple lines in this song also. And hopefully they'll be... This is all I want okay, for Christmas is you. Make your Tie me down. Make me wow. That's, uh, it's, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty right up there. This is Brian Highland with Let Me Belong to You. This is, uh, this is the, the, the prequel answer song to All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Steve Anytime. gets it. Anytime. Steve gets it, guys. 
So this is not the most disturbing song in the show. That was the previous one. But to me, this provokes the greatest uncertainty as to whether anyone involved with making this record was fully aware of the incredibly blatant implications. This is just as much a song about male sexual submission as the Velvet Underground's Venus in Furs. The main difference here is that Brian doesn't name any specific pieces of fetish gear. But the, like, the mindset is pretty consistent the whole way through, and it's a little shocking to me how up on the surface it is. So this is the closest equivalent on the countdown to that Nightmare on Elm Street 2 ideal that I had in my head. And, and I just want to be clear, uh, that was the first time Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and ideal have appeared together. <laughs> uh-huh. Except when you buy it on, on the internet on an, on, an, on an iPhone for like 99 cents. That's an ideal. Uh, uh, I got it. Yeah, you should uh, write for BarkingDog.com. <laughs> um, applications already in. Barking in the dark? That was it. <laughs> or Barking, no, he meant Barking oh, Dog. Yeah. No, you should definitely write for BarkingDog.com. That's a different site. I want to see what that is while Steve continues his fun fact. <laughs> it's, they've got that. No, I want to see what that is. You know, you can, <laughs> you, it's just like, you know, that Barking Dog's Jingle Bells? They've got all kinds of songs. Like... Um, Brian Brian Highland is a uh, he's another teen idol type. He's best remembered for his ballad "Sealed with a Kiss" and his novelty hit "Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini," which is a very specific fetish in and of itself. Teeny weenies. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, it's, that's a fetish not fully realized until Dusty Rhodes joined the WWF in 1989. Look it up. I didn't have to look it up. It's an excellent, excellent point. But what I will say about the fetish is the uh, James Vance. I wrote it down. Is that his name? The guy that wrote the song? Paul Vance? Paul Vance, thank you. It said he was inspired by his two-year-old daughter at the beach. So what the hell kind of fetish is that? Hey, it's a callback to daddy, uh, yeah, a, new, daddy. a new daddy. Who's going to take my daddy's yeah. place? Daddy, don't you walk so fast? That was a Wayne Newton song. Yeah, it wasn't about a girl whose dad got like stuck under a train and lost his legs? Maybe. What? what? Probably not. <laughs> you said it. I read that somewhere. <laughs> Barkingdog.com. Uh, found that. That just says like uh, can't, what does it say? You can't. It's, can't, it's, be, it's parked. It's parked. Yeah. yeah, it's waiting for you, Dave. <laughs> so I'm going to publish all my facts. <laughs> You're going to need a Verit authentication code for uh, for all those facts. Yep. Uh, Let Me Belong to You was sort of a hit. Made, it barely made the top 20 in 1961. It was written and produced by the same two dudes who did most of Brian's other material at the time, Gary Geld and Peter Udell. I don't think there are blatant S&M themes in their other stuff. This just appears to be you a wild think. anomaly. I, did, I, did, I didn't listen to that many of them. Uh, good, good job, Steve. You found a real genre. I found it. I wish we came up with a good, a real name for it, though. That's my only regret. No. Well, I gave you a week to think of a pun, and I couldn't think of one, and neither, none of you could either, so... Yeah. Fifty Shades of Fifties it is. Uh, I'll tell you what didn't make this list. What didn't make the list, J.D.? Well, it didn't take me long to dig up Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley. <laughs> At no point is it mentioned that this is a co-ed party. It seems Warden has thrown a gay orgy at the county jail. With the insistence back then that rock and roll was all about sexual sex, 
This is the only possible interpretation. A warden using his male prisoners to create a sexual spectacle for his own enjoyment. The whole rhythm section was a purple gang, guys. And I don't think they mean Jeff Beccaro and David Hungate on Hunter's Discogs. Also, blue suede shoes. Never mentions that they are men's shoes. I like to wear women's shoes. Don't step on or rather make fun of them. <clears throat> Good job, JD. Thank you. I get it, right, Steve? Yep, you got it. Yeah, you, you're on. You're on. You're on the wavelength. Okay. Uh, how about "Roll Over Beethoven" by Chuck Berry? And because I assume the ti- by the title, I didn't listen any further. Uh, he wants to bugger Beethoven in the fifties, oh <laughs> right God. in the fifties. Spread open those fifties. Here comes Chuck Berry. Uh, for me, Mr. Blue by the Fleetwoods. They know why. I don't know that one. Call me Mr. Blue. Wow, Yeah, think about it. Dave, do you have... You get blown? Hmm? Did Mr. Blue get blown? They know what I'm talking about. No, he didn't. Dave. Or, or just slightly and then left. Dave, do you know what we're doing next next week? Uh, according to my notes, it says circumcision rock. I call it cut cuts. <laughs> well, that's not true. Is it? We, no, I wrote that. Yeah, we're not sure what we're doing next, but I challenge you to make that a thing. Okay, so bumpers today sent in by Pete All B Fishman, along with fellow BYR Patreon member Chris Stir and his pal Guy Morrison. Pete is part of a music group with literally tens of fans called the Curtis Street Ensemble. And they're Michiganders like us. Yeah! They formed 20 years ago while in college, and last year released their first album. It's an album called Sick Bro, and it's all about bros. You can find it on Spotify, and it's kind of ween-like. Oh, okay. Uh, The bumpers were snippets from that album. So look for the next Curtis Street Ensemble album titled We Are Serious coming in 2018. And when in Traverse City, look for Chris Hunter-Stir, that's his nickname, uh, and his band The Pocket playing at various water holes around town. That's what you do when you make his bumpers. We'll plug anything you want, even a ton of stuff. Even a fish. Yeah. Uh, credits. Find this week's playlist following JD Rizzo on Spotify. Go to yachtrock.com for a useful experience. Go to yachtandyacht.com. Take a look at the Yachtsky scale. It's a good scale. It's a good website. Thanks, Patrickology. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate and review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help us pick a Pete. So please take the time today to write us a review. Themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to Produso, Matt Brusso. Thanks to the entire Feral Audio family. Check out Feral Audio Podcasts at feralaudio.com and check out barkingdog.com for a really disappointing experience. (laughs) 